Yeah, the servant paid the price. That's why it's free to us. It wasn't free with the overall sense, but it's free to us. What else is impressive about this opportunity? It doesn't end. Okay, doesn't end. What else is impressive about it? Verse 1. Exactly. Water is what a thirsty man needs, but God provides such abundance, such rich provision that he gives milk and, and wine. You know, it's, it's more, it's better. It's more satisfying. Now, it is necessary that we thirst. Self-satisfied people don't receive Christ. And it's necessary that we come. Without that, we will not receive And we usually have a problem that's described in verse 2. What's our problem? We spend money for things that aren't correct. Yeah. We eat a whole lot of spiritual junk food that fills ourselves up superficially with something that doesn't really satisfy us at all. Isn't that what sinful man constantly seeks to gratify his own selfish desires with a bunch of garbage that will never fill him up? He has to spend good money for that. And it doesn't help him one little bit. But that's exactly what we're combating. Here's a, here's a banquet that's abundant, that's free, that's universally offered, and people don't want it because I've already yeah, I already, I already, you know, ate a bunch of garbage. They're so full from that worldly nonsense that they have no appetite for the real banquet that God provides. You know, I don't know, this, I don't know if there's a good analogy in this or not, but I don't know, can you imagine? This is more for old people than for young people, but, but can you imagine? Um, you know, some young person, probably like some of you, who've grown up in homes where nobody ever cooks. You know, you just plop it out of a can and put it in the microwave and eat it. And, you know, they're mostly just, I don't know, so a lot of that stuff I think is kind of gross, you know. <laughs> I mean, you've been eating a bunch of spam. <laughs> just... Whatever, just, just some of the, not some of the better stuff. You're not eating, you know, you know I don't know, what's, what are good brands? Banquet, and, you know. <laughs> You're eating some of the cheap, you know, just pre-prepared stuff that's really not even very good. <laughs> and you eat that stuff so much and so long. It's trash. Okay. You eat that stuff so much and so long. It's that, that you go to one of these, you know, great country cooks that makes everything from scratch, that, you know, uses a lot of, you know, homegrown ingredients. You know, she put up her own, you know, fruit and vegetables and, and they, they've killed their own beef and, you know, whatever. And she's got just a huge banquet. You're like, I don't want that stuff. Where's my spam? 
you imagine getting to the point where you don't, you don't even have an appetite for real food because you've let all the garbage satisfy you. That's exactly what's happening in our world. There are so many people who fill themselves up and they're so accustomed to a bunch of spiritual garbage. They don't even want the real stuff. And one of the things we've got to do when we teach people is help them realize the stuff you're eating is no good. You've just gotten so used to it you thought it was. They've got to develop a taste. They've got to see their need. There's so many people who think that money and power and fun fills you up and you don't really want anything else. But the only problem they find is you can never quite get enough of it. You know, I need a raise. And I need, you know, we two or we three or, you know, <laughs> whatever. And I need, you know, and, and we're just constantly seeking something more. But, but that's where it's at. That's all I need is just the next generation. He says, you know, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. You've got the three listens. The listen, the incline your ear, and the listen. And I'll give you an everlasting covenant. That's the, you know, what a blessing. A covenant with God forever. And I'll give you this King David, who's a witness and a leader and a commander. And I'll give you the Lord himself to turn to, the Holy One of Israel who's glorified you. Here are the real blessings. You're going to have a covenant and a king of the Lord. And you're spending all this hard-earned money on garbage and think you're filled up. How pathetic. Comments and questions? Yes. I think that goes back to what you said yesterday a lot about um, what the perspective the black people have um, of what, I guess, us younger kids or younger whatever want yeah, today is new things and not just the word and the fact that the word is what really fill us and uh, I mean if we, if, I guess I get a phrase sometimes that people just get on an emotional high and aren't really filled with what matters and while it might be good to you know, it might, be, it might be good to you know to be you know to be emotional and things like that. But if you don't, if you're not filling yourself with the Bible and sitting down and studying it and really devoting yourself to it, then it's not really what completely matters. And that's not I, 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 that's what I thought of when you were talking about that a second ago. Good. Why? Um, when we're growing up, you know, we get thrifted money or cryptocurrency, spend it wisely. In a sense, you know, we need to spend our time wisely when we get more time. More and more time, we should spend time, you know, you know studying the Bible, like you said, instead of doing other stuff. And uh, ultimately, spending our time, you know, studying the Bible, doing something more productive and hanging out with the wrong crowd, obviously, will have an effect on others, but it will have a positive effect on yourself. Good point. John? Um, this is something that really annoys me, but I, I just see so much of my friends, just so many people reading these best 
or bestseller authors, but they won't read the Bible. You know, they read all this, all the commentaries on, on the Bible, but they don't want to study the Bible. And I've had some people just, we study just like this, and, and we've been doing some Bible study just like this, and it's not, they don't. And I'm wondering if it's my fault for not giving them more, or maybe I should use some different techniques, but I'm just like, you know, this is pretty simple. We're just reading what it says and making comments about it and seeing what it does say. And it's almost like they want something more shallow. They crave that. They crave, you know, let's talk about Bill and Sue and why Bill lied and that's not right. You know, and I, I'm lost in this because it's so shallow and I want them to look for something with more substance, but they do need to know the word. And I don't know how to get that in that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, probably the first key is we need to be filling ourselves up with the Lord. And we need to be really satisfied ourselves with what God provides. And then share with others our enthusiasm for what the Lord gives us. And how, how helpful that is. Unfortunately, we may find some people who we ask the same question. Why in the world are you spending money for things that aren't bread? You know, you've got something so much better. And, uh, you know, not everybody wants that. Uh, but, but certainly, for us, we need to make sure we are filling ourselves up with the Lord and we're receiving the rich, abundant provision He gives to us. That's great. I think many times when we're uh, tempted to fill ourselves with other things uh, uh, that are contrary to God's word, you know, try to satisfy ourselves with sin, uh, we, we need to realize that uh, to find the pleasures of sin, we have to find it with the pleasures of serving God. You know, we, we can't just expect to overcome sin without, you know, I guess you can say indulging ourselves in God's word. Uh, you know, getting the pleasure that comes from serving God. Because um, if we're not feeding upon that, we're, those temptations to feed upon them are just going to be that much stronger. Good point. Yeah. Shane? I could help but think also that you're reading this passage about even using our time that we use for spiritual things like I mean, when we read our Bibles, when you get done, you remember half what you read. I mean, honestly, there's just times I read the Bible and I'll read through a couple of songs and all over the Bible after reading for half an hour, an hour and start thinking, wait, what else to read? You know, are we reading just to read? Are we reading to gain knowledge? Are we praying just to say thank you, thank you, thank you? Are we praying to say our feelings to grow closer to the Lord? Even using our spiritual, spiritual time more and being more focused and just not doing it as, as a habit or something that we would just do at 5 o'clock every Monday through the day, but doing something that means something to us and putting our whole heart into it. Yeah. And even are we reading it to gain the Lord? Yeah, that's a good point. Other comments or questions? Six to nine. <laughs> Seek the Lord walking in Lord, that he may have compassion on him, for our God, for people abundantly pardon. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways and my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that imply? That's exactly right. This is a limited time opportunity. There comes a time when it is too late. Seek him now. Call on him while he's near. Now that's going to mean you have to forsake your way. This section of Isaiah talks a lot about going one's own way. But you've got to forsake your way. And the unrighteous man has to forsake his thoughts. You have to quit, quit thinking your way, quit going your way. Response to God's call requires a complete change of lifestyle and thinking. Now you have to do that because God's thoughts are not your thoughts and His ways are not your ways. You cannot continue in your ways with your way of thinking and ever please God. His ways and thoughts are as high, much higher than you as the heavens are for you. And so you've got to give up your agenda the things you want to do, your independence, your self-determination, and your active way of thinking, and you have to submit to God. And you'll never do that just by your own intuition, because His ways are so much higher than ours. Sometimes, it's even going to be that they don't look right, because we live on a so much lower plane that sometimes God's ways and thoughts seem wrong to us, which is merely a judgment upon ourselves. Comments and thoughts through verse 1. I think a lot of times we just, you know, like you were saying, God's decisions and stuff, they don't make sense to us, but we forget that His perspective is so much better. You know, he knows everything. We hardly know anything. And and then we still want to judge God for making that decision or something. Yes. Then. Uh, is this phrase in verse 6 similar, similar to what David says in Psalm 32? About, therefore, I want like, call over the time to the town. Is that the same idea? I think so. Yeah. Forsake your ways, forsake your thoughts, you know, return to God. 
and seeking, uh, I can, I know this from my own life, you may think you're really seeking, but you're probably putting in minimal effort with the seeking. Uh, and really pursuing the Lord is seeking something like you would like you would look after something you lost that was precious. Um, really devoting yourself to that, and you will find them if you really seek. That's Jesus' promise. Uh, but we can't just pretend like we're seeking. Excellent points, Kind of what Matt was talking about is the whole idea about God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and His ways are higher than our ways. You know, Always find it's kind of funny, and it's fitting that when we had a little baby, we used to little baby talk. You know, and that's, I think that's how God feels when God's talking to us. He's, you know, he's like, oh, baby. You know, because we can't comprehend much more than that. You know, you think of the terminology he's using here, you know, he must be a kid instead of a walk. Why won't these people just do what I'm asking them to do? It's, it's in their best interest, it's in their, you know, best, you know, in their ways. And so it's humorous, but I think it's also beneficial to understand. God is how great God is. Excellent point. I'm in awe of how many times God mentions um, uh, God has a chance to come back to him whatever he may be. It says, you know, whether whether we are um, no, no matter what combination we are under, you know, whether whether we commit fraud, whether you know we've been disobedient, he it stresses in this in this book how many times. I'm just amazed how many times he's asking us to come back. You know, this this limited time off he's just stressing it over and over and over again. And it's amazing that some people don't get it. And um, it's just I'm just amazed at how many times you know he's, he's stressing this and how, how much he wants us to come back and we can see it throughout this book. It's amazing. We go obey God even when it doesn't seem very logical to us. Uh, you remember Abraham and going to kill his son. It never seem very logical. Well, God it knows better than us. He thinks better than us. Too. Other thoughts? Yes, John. Do you think this spiritual food that we were talking about that was, you know, not quite the food that God wants us to eat, do you think that's filled with man's thoughts to mix with God's thoughts? Like something that has truth in it, but it's also it's kind of dumbed down maybe. Perhaps might include that. What do you think of that? Do you think that's profitable? Do you think that's beneficial for a new Christian or someone maybe trying to get um, get out of man's thinking and think more like God or, or just because I've always been taught you stuff you study a lot. Because it's not contaminated with man's thought. But if you if you're always seeking man's thoughts to explain God's thoughts to you, then there's less uh, or there's more room for contamination. You see what I'm saying? Like if you're always um, does that make sense before? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Like using Harry Potter to teach the Bible. <laughs> Jesus used illustrations. 
he used the Good Samaritan, and he used the sower, and he used the mustard seed. And, you know, you might illustrate, you know, a spiritual truth, as we would, with some kind of a secular illustration. Now, you don't try to, you know, entice people to the Lord by offering to show free Harry Potter movies, and, you know, you can come and we'll baptize you afterwards or something. <laughs> but, so I, mean, I think it depends. You don't try to somehow... You know, we're going to try to, uh, I don't know, mix the gospel with some other philosophy, but, but to use an illustration. If, if, if our purpose is to illustrate the truth and not just to use our illustration, then, then that's okay. I don't know if that's helpful. Other comments and questions? 10 to 13. For in the morning the snow come down from heaven, do not return without watering the earth, and make it bare and sprout. And furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush and the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. I love this illustration, verse 10. You ever seen rain or snow? come out of the sky, falls down to right around, you know, waist level, <laughs> and then comes right back up and goes back into the sky. Ever seen that happen? You know, I've seen some pretty good snowstorms. That would be, that'd be really interesting. You know, you see this, this hard snow come down and right back up. It's not going to do it that way. Now that's his illustration. He intends for that to be funny, I think, and to be kind of ludicrous. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making a barren sprout, furnishing seed and sowing bread to the eater, so my word, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sin. He's saying that just as the rain and snow don't come down and then suddenly shoot back up, when God promises something, he doesn't make the promise, and it goes out of his mouth, and before it actually accomplishes what he said, turn back. He's saying, what I tell you will happen. You can trust my word. It's as likely that one of God's promises would fail as if the snow would come halfway down your waist and turn back and go back up into the sky. That's the confidence we can have that God will never promise something he won't fulfill. When God makes these promises, when he offers the spiritual banquet, he's going to do it. You can trust him. 
It is interesting to me. I believe there is some census in which 40 to 55 is a section. And in 40, verses 6 through 8 stresses the reliability of God's Word. The Word of God stands forever in contrast with flesh and with grass. And at the end of this section, in 55, 10, and 11, he stresses the fact that God's Word will be accomplished. You can trust God's Word. He's promising some amazing things. You will go out with joy, a new exodus. The mountains and the hills will shout with joy. The trees will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. God's saying some really great transformations in the landscape will take place. And, and, and I don't think that he was speaking arbitrarily here in verse 13. You look at that a little bit more closely. Do you see a little more deeply into what he's saying? Why did he choose some of the uh, plant life that he did? Absolutely. What did God do because of man's sin in Genesis 3? Yeah, cursed the ground and said thorns and thistles will come up. God is reversing that curse of sin by saying instead of the thorn bush, the cypress comes up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle comes up. God is going to remove the curse. He's going to remove the punishment for sin. He's going to bless his people. You can count on it because you'll never find the word of God that comes back to him without accomplishing what he said. Comments and questions? Uh, who do you think he's trying to show by giving like the total reversal of the negative consequences to these really good things? Well, I think he's just saying God's going to totally transform the effect of sin and provide a blessing in place of the curse. Roger. One of the implications you make is that when you preach the gospel to somebody, the word of God is going to do something. I mean, it's, it's going to have some kind of effect. I mean, whether the person wants to get, I always tell people, you know, the word of God is powerful. And I mean, if you preach something, whether they respond now or before, you know, something's going to stick. I don't know that. Find the point of context is what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. Now, I mean, that would mean that, you know, you can trust his word to accomplish his purposes. So, you know, you preach the word, it will do what God wants it to do. Uh, there's no doubt about that, but I think the point here is that God will fulfill his promises. If you take that approach, uh, which I think some, which a lot of people do, um, I've heard Calvin say that God's word will not, will, when it falls on the thorny soil, you know, that never happens. God's word always accomplishes its purpose. It always reaches the people that it's supposed to. God's word will never go out without a result. Um, so I think that would be something that that would go against interpreting it that way, maybe more just what you say. Um, okay. More. We can use this passage that talks about how you can go 
that we do over at Lakeview with our study group is that once a month we would go to a shut-in, a shut-in or two shut-in houses, sing with them or talk with them or speak God's words to them. And it really hits all of us emotionally and spiritually because we know we've done good things for the shut-in since they can't make it out to church. Other comments? Um, I had a study one time with a couple of non-Christians and they brought this verse trying to prove some of their doctrine. I'm not sure what it was. But how would you explain this verse with what Sarah read earlier in Isaiah and also this sort of record about Hezekiah when God said you're going to die and change tomorrow. Also with Amos in Amos chapter 7, he shows in the three signs that the destruction is coming upon Israel. He then changes his mind to relent and says, well, how would you explain those with this group? Oh, that's a good question. Very good question. I think the answer is that God's dealings with man are conditioned upon man's behavior and attitude. And so God chooses to do something based upon where this man or man or nation is at. And if that changes, then God changes to fit where they're at. <coughs> There's a passage in Jeremiah 18. <coughs> Jeremiah 18. Where it talks about how um, a, a, a pot might remake a vessel. And he says in Jeremiah 18.7, At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring up. Or at another moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I promised to bless it. So what he's saying is, God will change based upon man's change. <laughs> That's a first. God will not just insist on punishing if a man repents. God will not continue to bless if a man turns away from him. God suits his dealings with man according to what man does. That's kind of an understood thing about God's dealings with man. I don't think that really affects the interpretation of this passage. God, God continues to modify what he does based upon how man behaves. I think if you explain my other verse, he says, I say these things because they're going to fulfill what I believe, what my plan is. Um, and obviously his plan will work with how we react to his judgment. Sir. Other comments? And what he pleases changes? Um, no, we change. He pleases, the, he pleases to bless the righteous and uh, punish the wicked. 
That never changes. We may change from being righteous to wicked or wicked to righteous. Like when it says we're predestined in the New Testament. God blesses those who are righteous. And that's his predestined plan. Is to save those who are righteous. Not that he picked you and me and, and not somebody else. Okay. Other comments? All right. We're going to stop here. And uh, good, good study.